Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We'll start today's show with two of my favorite sayings. You know what the background music to success is? Criticism. You know what the key to bacon is? Frying it, putting it in the pan, heating it up. Everybody loves bacon, but it's gotta be cooked. Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, he's getting cooked right now. He doesn't have a contract right now with the Baltimore Ravens. There's a lot of discussion about Lamar Jackson's legacy, and we'll get to the bottom of it today. Is Lamar Jackson the second coming of Cam Newton? Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday to you and yours. We're almost there. We're almost to the weekend. Uh, we're in the midst of a great work week. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. Uh, as I just previewed, we're going to talk some Lamar Jackson today. He got into a blowout uh, with former Baltimore Ravens star Bernard Pollard over social media late last night. We'll get into that. We're not going to actually start there, though. We're going to start uh, with Alex Stein. And so I'm going to start the fire a little later in the show. We're actually going to start today's show with the fire that Alex Stein started yesterday in our nation's capital. Uh, Alex, a friend of the show, uh, contributor for The Blaze, one of the funniest, most courageous men in America. Uh, Alex, uh, primetime Stein, you've seen him rapping and rhyming at city council uh, meetings all over the country. Uh, he's, t he's taken his act to uh, the nation's capital and ran into AOC. Alexander Cortez Ocasio, you run into her. Uh, Alex, uh, let's play a little clip of your engagement with AOC, uh, and then I want to ask you some questions. AOC, my favorite big booty Latina. I love you, AOC. You're my favorite. She wants to kill babies, but she's still beautiful. You look very beautiful in that dress. You look very sexy. Look at that booty on AOC. That's my favorite big booty Latina. I love it. My favorite AOC. Nice to meet you, AOC. Look how sexy she looks in that dress. Woo, I love it, AOC. Hot, hot, hot like a tamale. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you call her a breakfast taco like Jill Biden, Alex? Let's start there. <laughs> well, Jason, see, I'm from Texas, and a tamale is even a better delicacy in the Latinx community, the Latinx community. A tamale is even better than a taco. And seriously, like, you know, obviously I kind of, you know, took it to the line by calling her, you know, big booty Latina. But this is why I did it, Jason, because she always talks about how people have crushes on her, and that's why people don't like her. So I knew that if I did that, I would give her ammunition and that it would trigger her because she would be forced to use this content as some sort of social justice tool to say that she's being sexualized all the time. So I said, you know what? You're going to complain about sexualization. Why don't I sexualize a little bit 
And she fell right into my trap, Jason. Listen, Alex, I, I got to be honest. I do think she looked really good in that dress. She, I don't think she you were lying. Jason, she looked like a 10. And, you know, even though, you know, they say, oh, well, she's not pretty because her politics are terrible. Well, let me just say, put her politics aside. She looked fabulous. And she had the mini skirt on. But this is the biggest thing about it. Jason, that was her fiance that was with her. He didn't say a word. So talk about a really strong man. Yeah, that was her fiance, the guy in the red hair. He didn't say a word, Jason. Oh, my God. She came after you. But yeah. him being a beta male, he did nothing. She, you know, you get what you asked for, AOC. She wear, Here's what she I found. Wear, well, I just want to say, she wears Go the ahead. thong in the relationship. She wears the thong, not him. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I think she's blocked you on Twitter now. Yeah. And she, she originally complained. I think you actually captured, because she deleted her original <laughs> tweet where she was very upset with you uh, and, 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 but we called her in a bit of a contradiction because AOC is really pro protesting. And she's got tweets here I saw in uh, 2020, you know, after the summer of George Floyd in December of 2020. The whole point of protesting is to make people uncomfortable. Activists take the discomfort with the status quo and advocate for concrete policy changes. Popular support often starts small and grows to folks who complain about protest demands makes others uncomfortable. That's the point. Uh, you seem to make AOC uncomfortable there. And then just in July, after uh, Brett Kavanaugh gets harassed at a restaurant, AOC, Ocasio-Cortez, here she is. I posted about a deeply disgusting incident. Oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm reading wrong. That's her complaining about you, let me find. Uh, yeah, here she is uh, uh, earlier in July. I would never understand the pearl clutching over these protests. Republicans send people to protest me all the time, sometimes drunk and belligerent. Nobody cares about it unless it's a Republican in a restaurant. Can someone please explain the obsession? Because I don't get it. So Brett Kavanaugh, he's fair game uh, at a restaurant. But AOC, Big Booty Latina, she's not okay on the steps of the Capitol. She can't be protested. Or her. I would imagine people outside Kavanaugh's home, Clarence Thomas's home, I imagine they're saying worse things than, hey, you look good in that miniskirt, you Big Booty Latina. Uh, I would imagine they're saying worse things than that, wouldn't you? Well, their whole agenda, of course, they're saying we're saying, but their whole agenda is victimhood. That's the problem in society. And that's why you're a great person, Jason, because you're fearless. You don't want to be a victim. But they've tricked people into thinking that victimhood is the proper way to feel. We shouldn't feel like victims. We need to take back our lives and be winners and be champions and not just have participation trophies and just be OK with being a victim. But AOC, she's trying to push that narrative of victimhood. And it's really disgusting, in my opinion. So in her original tweet, she complained that you said she had a luscious ass. Yeah. Is that deleted out of the video or did you say yeah. big booty Latina and she interpreted as her having a luscious ass? I'm perfectly fine with both descriptions based <laughs> off of what I saw in the video, but what did you actually really say? 
Jason, you saw an unedited version. I said big booty, and this is why, because I know how to take it to the line without crossing it, and that's what I tried to do. Because, listen, I was complimenting her. Of course, I was kind of being a little overly sexualized, but that's why, because she always complains about the sexualization. So that's why I said booty. That's why I called her a hot tamale, because I was trying to, you know, basically talk about what we're talking about in this day and age. They're calling people breakfast tacos. They're literally giving, uh, you know, the Latin community these stupid nicknames. Why can't I say a nickname for her? So I was just calling out the hypocrisy and i said this earlier i just laid out a trap and she couldn't have hook line and sinker like this fish in this in the potomac river i got her so easily i'm very surprised by a, a congresswoman like that you think she'd be a little smarter to not feed a troll like myself jason alex can i ask you this though are you suggesting that had you said luscious ass that would have crossed the line where big booty latina is is fair game because i, I want to know just moving forward if you know is luscious ass too much in your opinion honestly yeah i mean i think if i would have said ass you know it may be not too i think there's actually you can tease and joke with people and be sexual but i think that might have crossed the line and i want to take it right to the line that's why i said booty and i think booty is kind of a funny word like you know i mean obviously it's a, it has a sexual connotation but i'm and from texas you're supposed to say people are i'm saying it's okay to say you're beautiful you're a beautiful lady you even you can even say a woman looks sexy and that's not some sort of sexual harassment and her and i don't work together she's a public figure so she should expect this here she's from the bronx and listen i'm a j-lo fan we know j-lo is known for her big booty her derriere so Jenny from the block, if she's going to act like she's some Bronx queen, she's been catcalled, Jason. Come on. Anybody that's been in New York City for five minutes has been catcalled by a construction worker. So her being this sensitive, just she's got to be the victim. Typical AOC uh, playbook. Well, well, don't rope me in, Alex. I'm very offended by your behavior here. I just want to go on record <laughs> yeah. there that I have a problem with. And so I want to know, because there's some recent photos, and I wish I had told these guys to pull it up. Maybe we can, uh, we can find it and post it at some point. But have you seen the recent photos of Nancy Pelosi out on the beach with her drunk husband, Paul Pelosi? She's got her cans just out bigger than anything. And so I'm wondering, if you run into Nancy Pelosi while you're in the Capitol, what, what's the appropriate trolling there? What doesn't cross the line if Nancy Pelosi has those big cans of hers out? What, what will you say then? Well, I would say, Ms. Pelosi, thank you for solving the baby formula crisis with those jugs on your chest, because you have enough milk for all the babies. So you did us a great job. Thank you, Ms. Pelosi. You're great. But you know who I'm trying to get is Elon Omar. I want to ask her, Elon, why did you marry your brother? Is that normal in Somalia to marry your brother? She's my she's my kind of white whale, as they say. I got to get Elon Omar, because um, I already got Jamal Bowman from the squad. I asked him if he liked Hunter Biden's taste in prostitutes. I got AOC. So I need to get a couple more squad members just to round them all up and basically just call out the hypocrisy. It's so easy. These people are so sensitive. They have no sense of humor. And that's typical of politicians. I talk about this all the time. They're all self-righteous, humorless individuals that think they're the most important people on the planet. The thing I love about this is no one can call you one-sided. Because, I, you know, just a week or two ago, you were confronting Ted Cruz and you had him all pissed off. Uh, you got them all on your uh, cross in, in your crosshairs.
Well, let me tell you why I do that, because I'm anti-establishment. The left wing and the right wing are on the same bird. And we have a serious crisis at the border between Texas and Mexico. Young people are being sex trafficked. Drugs are coming through by the freaking, uh, you know, shipping container. And nobody does anything about it. Yet they give $80 billion to go fund a war between the border of Russia and Ukraine. So I want some people to actually put America first. I'm America first all the way. I love this country. You know, land of the free, home of the brave. But to these people... They're globalists. They care more about the Ukraine than they do about America. So I don't care if you have an R next to your name, a D next to your name. You need to have an A next to your name for America. Alex, I'll let you go uh, with this final question. Let's hypothetical say that I was a congressman. You know, some people say I have nice cans. Some people say, you know, I, I, I have a, a nice uh, back end. How would you troll me? What would be crossing the line? What would you shout at me if I were a congressman? Oh, Jason, I would. OK, that would say this. If I was being serious, I'd be like, oh, you're a bum football player, because that's if you make fun of anybody's sporting. So I'd be like, oh, failed athlete. That's what that's people hate that. You know that if you make fun of anybody, their sports career. I'm just I'm not calling you that now, but I'm saying if I was going to just troll you from my, what I know about Jason, if you make somebody you say, oh, you stunk in high school. If you say I stunk in high school, that's fighting words, Jason, because I was good in high school. I'm going to fight you uh, basically tooth and nail if you make fun of my high school career. So because you're an athlete, I might probably uh, make fun of your athleticism. Athletic prowess is what I would go after, uh, Jason. Alex, uh, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, good luck with uh, your troll campaign uh, the rest of this week out in our nation's capital. Uh, Alex Stein, uh, the Peter Ducey of comedy, <laughs> is what I think I'm going to start calling Alex Stein. All right, stay tuned. We got a lot more coming up. I'm going to get to the Lamar Jackson discussion. And trust me, it's going to be a heck of a fire. We will get there. I'm going to bring in uh, Denise McAllister here in a bit, though, because I want to talk a little bit more about J.K. Rowling and my exchange with her. Me and Pastor Bobby talked about it yesterday. I got his perspective. I want a woman's perspective on my engagement with J.K. Rowling, where we talked about the transgender issue and her uh, problem with Matt Walsh. We'll hear from Denise McAllister on that in a bit uh, or very shortly, and then we'll get into a much bigger, broader discussion about Lamar Jackson that I teased at the top of the show. But let me take care of a little business. Uh, do you really control your retirement money? If you've got a 401k or IRA or similar retirement plan, the government controls how much you can borrow and when you must pay it back. You will also owe taxes and penalties for taking money out too soon, even though it's your money. Thanks to our skyrocketing national debt, who knows how much you'll have to pay in taxes during a retirement that could last 30 years. Thankfully, Bank on Yourself is a better way to grow and protect your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative has never had a losing year in over 160 years. No volatility. Your plan doesn't go backwards when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are locked in. You have control of your money without government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take or when you can take it. Perhaps the best reason of all, you'll get peace of mind because you'll know the minimum guaranteed value of your plan on the day you plan to tap into it and at every point along the way. 
you can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com fearless. That's bankonyourself.com fearless. Guys, go check this out. This is in line with our entire philosophy here at Fearless about banking on yourself, taking control of your life, not leaving things to the government. You want to be in control. Banking yourself is a great way to go. All right, Denise McAllister. X. All right, welcome back. Uh, I want to bring in a friend of the show, Denise McAllister. Uh, Denise is an author. She's, her book, What Men Want to Say to Women But Can't. Uh, you guys know Denise, though, from this show and from her social media feeds. Uh, Denise is one of the strongest women I know with a biblical worldview and uh, an unapologetic uh, biblical worldview. And so I wanted to bring uh, Denise on to talk about my exchange over social media with J.K. Rowling, uh, the author of the Harry Potter uh, novels and, and books. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for J.K. Rowling and her success. I have a lot of respect for her uh, not backing down on the transgender issue. Uh, J.K. has a dispute or doesn't want to be associated with Matt Walsh uh, from the Daily Wire. You guys know I'm a big fan of Matt Walsh. Uh, I'm a big fan of his documentary, What is a Woman? Uh, and so they were going back and forth. I hopped into, uh, I think, a conversation or an exchange between Matt Walsh and J.K. Rowling, and I asked a very respectful question of J.K. Um, and, and basically said, hey, look, women need to fall back on this issue. Uh, this is a conflict that I don't think J.K. Rowling and, and women are really built for because it's going to get ugly and the vitriol and look and as I said yesterday with Pastor Bobby during Tennessee Harmony I'm telling we're in a final conflict stage where uh, death is a possibility people may lose their lives in this final conflict and this is a battle for men but that was me and Bobby talking that that's two men talking uh, I want to check my perspective uh, with a woman and someone who I respect and who I think has a strong biblical worldview. And so that's why we bring uh, Denise uh, back onto the program. And Denise, uh, thank you for joining us. And I was wondering if, have you been able to go through, uh, J.K. Rowling wrote four responses or put four tweets together, responded to me. Uh, we went over them yesterday. Uh, but I want to reset the conversation for people that didn't see yesterday's show. Uh, her first response to me was, respectfully, I've been facing down the punch and kill terse brigade for a while now, and not once have I thought, what I really want is to hand this over to a man who thinks feminism is one of the worst things to happen to Western civilization. She's talking about Matt Walsh, and she's upset that he has an anti-feminist point of view. Uh, I think where I'm going to land when I finally respond to her, because I told her I was going to reflect, is I have an anti-feminist <laughs> point of view as well. I think feminism is one of the worst things to happen to Western civilization. Where do you stand on that? Well, I, before you say that, I also found interesting later on in the tweet where she said, I'm not your ally, even though we both oppose. Gonna get there. 
Gonna, oh, okay. <laughs> gonna get okay, there. So, yeah, we're gonna get um, there. As far as her response and as far as her wanting not to have someone like Matt Walsh or you or any man be involved in the fight, uh, she's just adopting a kind of feminism that is anti-man. So, of course, she's going to take that perspective. Um, instead of looking at feminism, we kind of have to define feminism these days because we're not talking about first wave feminism or feminism that's fighting for equality and dignity and equality before the law, uh, like the old feminists fought for in our country. And like many feminists are fighting for across the globe. And you got to remember, J.K. Rowling is very much an international figure. And so she's probably thinking a little more internationally. And she's aware of a lot of these fights in these countries where women actually do not have rights. And so when she sees someone saying, I'm anti-feminist, part of her response, part of it, not all of it, but part of her response is you're anti-woman. But what she and other feminist, modern feminists need to understand is that to be anti-feminist of what feminism has become in the age in which we are living, which is actually a Marxist construct, which isn't about women, it's about power, uh, that we oppose that kind of feminism, that we are not opposing women. In fact, as a woman, I think that opposing the intersectional feminism that we have going on today is to stand for women, because I don't think the feminism of today actually stands for women. It doesn't have the foundational worldview to do to do that, and it, it doesn't do that in practice. It actually turns women against each other, as we're seeing. I, I love your point about that she has an international perspective. Harry Potter, she sold 500 million books, I believe, or you know, some absurd number. So she certainly has an international reach and an audience all over the globe. She's got, I think, 15 million Twitter followers. And so that is, uh, this is why I wanted to have you on. You've just given me a new way to look at her perspective because certainly I could understand why J.K. Rowling would say feminism in Saudi Arabia or in some of these other countries where women have no rights, you know, I, I, she has a right, I can understand why she would object. But Denise, here's where my problem at the moment, and I'm, this is why I'm seeking guidance, uh, insight, wisdom from yourself is, J.K. Rowling is on the record that she's a Christian. And so, what I don't understand about someone claiming Christianity is that Christianity is the solution, not feminism. That's if, so she should be a proponent of people becoming more Christ-like, men becoming more Christ-like, the world uh, valuing biblical values and uh, uh, integrity and, and a, a approach to life that would solve the equality issues and the abuse of women more so than feminism. Am I wrong for thinking that? No, especially the kind of feminism that we have today. And that's what I would say to JK Rowling is the kind of feminism that you say that you're representing is actually harming women because it rejects the God designed sexuality and identity that women are to have. And I'm not just talking about roles, I'm talking about the very identity of women and our relationship in society and our relationship to men. 
and how we're supposed to function um, before God. That is what we stand for in a Christian worldview. But the feminist worldview of today is a very subjective construct. You get to be whatever you want to be. You get to define yourself. I mean, this became what feminism was out of the 1960s. It left behind equal dignity, which actually came out of the worldview of um, Christianity. Uh, It left behind that kind of equality, that kind of dignity, that kind of equal value between men and women. And it latched on to free expression, women being exactly like men, that kind of egalitarianism. And then it left egalitarianism behind and turned into a Marxist struggle of the marginalized against the privileged and shaming men for being men because you are privileged and you have been throughout history. So now we have this power struggle. And what I want to say to JK is, if you're a Christian, and you need to reject the feminism of today, that does not mean, and I want to tell her this, it does not mean we are rejecting women. I'm a woman. I'm not rejecting myself. I understand the struggles of women. I know there's misogyny in this world. I know there's misogyny relationally among men and women in the United States. I don't think it's institutionalized misogyny, but I think it's there. Of course it is. We're humans, we're fallen, and if she's a Christian, she knows we're sinful. But she's got to understand the feminism that she has attached herself to is not in defense of women. It's a defense of a power structure structure in which it, it demeans, shames, and, and uh, it marginalizes men. It does the very thing that feminists are saying are being done to women. So she needs to understand the distinction between actually being pro-woman, which is what Matt Walsh and you and I are, and not being pro-modern intersectional Marxist feminism, which is what we have today, in which every Christian should op- oppose. The other thing, if I can just make one more point that's ironic here, is that she has been fighting these radical feminists who are the these trans women, and it is a battle. I mean, it's kind of interesting to watch the feminists of today fight the trans women about these issues. But one thing I also want to say to the modern intersectional feminists who are fighting transgender women is that you have already embraced the worldview and the uh, identity structure that supports trans women. So if you believe that our sexuality as it is, as it's defined, our identity, our function, our roles are all whatever we decide it should be and not that God has decided and revealed in his word and in nature. If you think being a woman is all about being expressing yourself and I define myself, then how can you oppose the transgender woman? Is she not working from that same premise? I get to define myself. So anyone, anyone who supports any kind of identity that is self-made, any kind of sexuality that's born of feeling, psychology, affections, attractions, and not according to God's design for human sexuality, you are actually undermining your own battle against LGBTQ and all the rest of the alphabet. Because the LGBTQ and the alphabet are all subjective identities in which you get to make yourself what you feel. That is contrary to the Christian worldview. It's contrary to what is right and gives dignity to actually women and men. So I I, I would think she would say, hey, some of that that you're ascribing to me, I'm actually not for, I'm against this whole whatever you feel thing. I, I think she thinks she's objecting to that. But, but again, I'm gonna go back to uh, she's a professed Christian. And, and, and so 
a Christian will have an understanding like, hey, our whole society is based on Christian biblical values and principles. Our calendar is based on that. Uh, we know that it's Thursday because of the Bible. Seasons, everything comes from the framework that was laid out in the Bible. And, and that's why I don't understand someone who professed to be a Christian that doesn't, isn't saying, you know, Christianity is the actual solution. Feminism to me is a false god, it, it's idolatry. And, and certainly where we're at right now, we've made women these idols that can't be questioned. And any, if you, any criticism, any negativity, any second guessing of, of them is somehow framed as sexist. And, and, and I just see feminism, again, I'm right there probably in, in Matt Walsh's camp, that it is part of the undermining of a Christian worldview. And, and I, part of what I hear from JK and some of her other tweets, let me read a couple of these, uh, her other tweets to me. Like many women on the left, I despair that so many self-proclaimed liberals turn a blind eye to the naked misogyny of the gender identity movement and the threat it poses to the rights of women and girls. Walsh's film undeniably exposed what many leftists are too scared to, but a shared belief that women exist as a biological class and water's wet and the moon's not made of cheese does not an ally make. I believe women are susceptible to certain harms and have specific needs and that feminism is necessary to secure and protect our rights. And this is where I really, this is the heart of my disagreement. She's a Christian arguing that feminism is necessary to secure and protect our rights. Christianity is the key to securing and protecting all of our rights. I think that's what she should be arguing. If men were more Christ-like, if our society embraced biblical values and, and that was the culture, women would be secure and their rights would be protected. Feminism is a false god. It's a, it's a false, it's a, it's a bad game plan that leads to what we, it was always going to lead right to where we are right now. I think she would say, and a lot of Christians are like this, and it depends on, I, I don't know what kind of Christian she is. I don't know what her belief system is within the Christian, you know, matrix of all, everyone who claims to be a Christian. Uh, but if she's a Christian, I, I can see her saying her feminism is in, in alignment with her Christianity. She would say that you can have things to fight for rights, like capitalism is something that a Christian can embrace. It's, it's free market, so we can have capitalism and it supports our Christianity. I'm sure she thinks feminism supports her Christianity because Christianity, Christianity is about justice and feminism is fighting for justice for women. So I'm sure she thinks that there is actually no disconnect between her feminism and her Christianity. And if, she, if we were back in 1920, I would I would agree with her. I would say, you know, your feminism, that you're fighting for some legal rights, you're fighting for equal dignity under the law. These kind of things are definitely 
in alignment with Christianity and actually comes out of Christianity, that uh, the belief in the equal dignity before God, because we're all made in God's image, means that we all have the same rights. So if, if we were back then and if we were talking about that, if we're talking about Saudi Arabia, then I would agree with her that her feminism does align with her Christianity. Unfortunately, like I was talking about before, I think she has embraced more of this in an inter intersectional Marxist uh, uh, feminism that believes that uh, sexism, misogyny is, is ingrained in our system, that because men were dominant for so long, even in the church, uh, that there is some inherent sexism within our systems that need to be rooted out and women are being harmed. Uh, I, I would have to know the extent of what she believes as far as her uh, modern feminism, her intersectional feminism of today. That feminism, like you said, is not does not work with Christianity. It, it just, it undermines it, it's counter, it's, it's another way, it's another view about human nature and human relationships. It's, it's a view that sees the human relationships as one of struggle and one of power. Christianity is a worldview that believes human relationships between men and women and anyone is one based on love, respect, and dignity. The Marxist feminist intersectional worldview is all about conflict. The Christian worldview wants to see peace. We want to see cooperation. We want to see mutual respect between the sexes. It, the intersectional feminists do not see it that way. They see men as a threat. That's why this is they cannot look to men as being an ally. When she says men are not an ally, if you don't appreciate the feminism of today, you're not an ally. And because they see men as a as intrinsically privileged, you are part of the problem. Uh, women have to handle this as women, and women need to fight for women. And that's an interesting comment because your point was saying that men actually have to fight this battle. I think everyone who's a Christian needs to fight this battle. I think women need to speak out against other women who hold to this wrong view of feminism because we can speak to it in many ways. Men also, just because you're a man doesn't mean you can't speak to women's issues. Thank goodness. Uh, you know, men have the, the right, the insight, the uh, gifts from God to bring wisdom to these topics that we need. They have strength that we need. Uh, women have that too. So I think it's about standing on those Christian principles and fighting for the common dignity and understanding that our relationship with each other is built on love and not built on power structures. It's built on forgiveness it's not built on restitution and and um, remembering uh, wrongs from 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago and continuing to hold over people so that you can suck whatever you want out of them. Uh, it's not about the marginalized and the privileged. It's about us all being equal in Christ and us, if we're not in Christ, at least being all the same made in God's image as his creatures. That gives us dignity, and that's where the answer is. If your feminism is in alignment with that, like it was many, many, many years ago, and you're fighting for rights in Saudi Arabia, fine, but that comes out of your Christian worldview. So really the foundation there is not your feminism, it's your Christianity. But if your Christianity is this modern aberration that actually undermines both men and, men and women, and certainly their relationship with each other, that's toxic. It's anti-Christian. It only breeds conflict, not even just between men and women, but between women amongst themselves. That's what intersectionality does. It's conflict, conflict all the time. So we need to reject that this, as Christians. Denise, I, I, I want to wrap on this point. You know, she ends basically saying she can't be an ally with Matt Walsh. 
Matt Walsh's point basically is that in what he said that started them their little back and forth was that, hey, look, all this whining and crying that Macy Gray is doing or other people are doing, and this goes to my point uh, about like, hey, and again, maybe I'm sexist for thinking this, but I'm just like, hey, you're not built for this conflict because terrible things are going to get said. Matt Walsh right now, because of his documentary, has security with him when he goes out in public. As we continue to have this battle over truth and over good versus evil, people are going to die because that's what happens when the evil unmasks itself in the way that it has been at this point. When you got people out on the streets fighting for the right to kill babies in the womb and they're out, you know, they've turned abortion into this religion and, and then you have people out in the streets uh, claiming that men who feel like women are really women and all this other stuff. We've reached a point of the conflict where things are going to be very rough, nasty things are gonna get said, and people are going to potentially lose their life. And what I'm saying and what Matt Walsh is saying is like, hey look, stop all the whining and crying. The fight is on. We don't have time for, for, to go tend to you because your feelings got hurt because someone sent you a mean tweet. And that's, and again, because that's what I'm saying. It's like, hey, we can't feminize this fight. And again, maybe that's the wrong word, but, but I hear too much complaining because the fight is nasty. Of course it's nasty. You have people running around in the streets uh, protesting because they, they, states get to decide when you get to kill your baby after 14, 15 weeks. Th these are evil, nasty people fighting for the right to kill babies. So this is gonna be an ugly fight. I don't think, and maybe I'm a sexist pig and I'll let you have the final word. You can tell me if I am a sexist pig. I don't think this is a conflict women can really handle because there will be death. Well, I, first of all, I, I'm speaking from experience because I too have had my life threatened. I've had the FBI at my house. I've had to move because of death threats. I've, I've been in there. I know, I know what it's like for years. So I understand what the cultural fight is about. I understand what JK is talking about. I don't think she was particularly whining about it. I think she was just saying this is a reality that we have to deal with and that it does take its toll, but it's something that we all have to deal with. I mean, David cried out and complained about this kind of thing in the Psalms and Paul talked about his persecution and how difficult it was. I mean, you can talk about it and you can explain to people what's going on. I don't think that's necessarily whining and complaining. I haven't read all of her tweets. Maybe she has been whining but excuse making what she was doing was making an excuse for macy gray because macy gray folded she went on uh uh one piers morgan and told the truth took some heat and then immediately went on the today show and backpedaled on everything and this is what mad Walsh said. hey look man this ain't the time don't get in the fight if you're gonna roll over that easy just go somewhere this and th this is what i'm saying it's like this foxhole, there will be bullets flying. I don't want someone there who's not prepared for this fight. And I tend, I tend to think, maybe it's the sexist pig in me. Women well, let me, let me aren't ready for this. 
Yeah, I don't I don't think the issue of who's in the foxhole with you is about them being a man and a woman or a woman. I don't because I see a lot of men caving too. I see a lot of men whining. No in this question. Too. No. Um, I see a lot of so I no think question. really it's not about your sex and are you ready for the fight? Because when Jesus says fight the good fight, he doesn't say only men. He says when it's for all of us as Christians, we are to fight the good fight. We are to stand strong in the face, faith. When he says you're going to face persecution, he doesn't say just you dudes are going to face persecution. All of you, if you stand for truth, whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, you are going to have to stand for the truth. If you are a Christian, you need to stand strong. There is a lot of caving, but they're caving because p- these people are not ingrained and solid in the worldview of Christianity. They're not biblical Christians who can who know that their God has their back. They're fearful of the culture because they're fear because they are too afraid of men and not afraid of God. They don't trust the God who says, I'm the one who will defeat the nations. I'm the one who will have the last word. I'm the one who created this world. I'm the one who created you. You do not have to. That's the comfort of every Christian in this cultural fight. We have all the strength behind us. We have the power of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the God of the universe who created all things that can destroy all things. Why are we afraid of little people who threaten us on Twitter, who threaten our lives? It's distressing. I know I've been there, but you can do not need to cave to them. You do not need to be afraid because your God is stronger than they are. Your God is the king of this world, not them. You do not need to be afraid as a Christian. So if these people who are caving, I don't know Macy Gray. I don't know if she's a Christian. I don't know what her worldview is, but I do know a whole lot of people cave. And I know a whole lot of people who claim to be Christians who cave because they are not trusting their savior. They're not trusting the promises of God. And that's the only way we're going to survive in a culture that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-human and anti-individual is to trust in our savior. I love you, Denise. Thank you so much. That was inspiring. Thank you. And I mean that sincerely. Thank you. And I do not think you're a sexist. Give me a little hope today. I, I just want to say, I do, not think you're, oh. I do not think you're a sexist I, I think you have a good heart. I think you want to protect people. I think you worry about people. I think you worry about women. I think that you have a good heart, and I think that that's what you, you're concerned about the fight. And that's what I, I find um, thankful for you, and I, I'm thankful for that for a lot of men. I think they're worried, and I, I see that in you. I see a good heart. I don't see misogyny. Thank you, Denise. All right, let me take care of a little business. Uh, From uh, cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting all of us where it hurts. And it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. To get started, download the free Upside app in the App Store or Google Play. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit card or debit card, and get paid. No. Upside isn't too good to be true. It really works, and Upside is a no-brainer. Download the free Upside app and use promo code FEARLESS to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code FEARLESS. All right, we're going to get to Lamar Jackson with the Korean co-sell, Steve Kim. X. 
You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. All right, welcome back. Uh, as I told you at the beginning of the show. Uh, we're going to start this fire a little later uh, in today's show, and now is the time to start this fire on uh, Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback. I don't know if you guys uh, saw this over uh, overnight last night. He and Bernard Pollard, uh, the former uh, Baltimore Ravens safety, Bernard Pollard, uh, known as the uh, Patriot Killer uh, from his playing days. He's Super Bowl champion with the Baltimore Ravens, I believe, in 2012. Uh, man, they went back and forth. Uh, Bernard Pollard brought all the smoke, and this all kind of started because of, let, let's, let's start here. Let's unpack this in order before I bring Steve Kim on, give you all the context to understand this, this entire conversation. But this started when ESPN put out a list of the top 10 quarterbacks uh, in the NFL, and I believe they consulted with front office people, coaches, and uh, players, and came up with a comprehensive list of the top 10 players, and, uh, top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And so I wanna, let me go over this list, which I somewhat disagreed with, but Aaron Rodgers one, Patrick Mahomes number two, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, and then I thought things got interesting. Deshaun Watson, who didn't play last year, is listed number nine. Dak Prescott, who I think is overvalued and overpaid, is listed number 10. That's where there's a question about should Lamar Jackson be ahead of those two guys. Deshaun Watson didn't play last year. I don't know how he's in anybody's top 10. That blows my mind. But again, they consulted with executives, coaches, players, and that's the consensus. People have a lot of respect for Deshaun Watson based off of what he's done previously. People think that Dak Prescott uh, is good. I don't. I think he's overvalued. But that does not mean I would put Lamar Jackson in the top 10. I mean, Lamar Jackson last year, 16 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. He was injured. Uh, and so Bernard Pollard jumps in and puts out his top 10 NFL uh, quarterbacks. And keep in mind, Bernard Pollard is most famously known as a Baltimore Raven and the Patriot Killer. In 2008, he ended uh, Tom Brady's season uh, with a shot to his knee. Uh, I think he, he ended Wes Welker. Wes Welker trying to avoid a tackle from Bernard Pollard, hurt his knee. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, at, at, at some point in, uh, during his career, Bernard Pollard fell on top of him uh, and injured his ankle. 
And then in 2012, in one of the most memorable uh, moments of Bernard Pollard's career, he hit Patriots running back uh, Stephen Ridley, helmet to helmet, but this was back when you could actually play football long ago. Remember they used to be able to play football and you used to be able to hit guys hard? Well, Bernard Pollard hit Stephen Ridley in the AFC Championship game, caused a fumble that was critical to the Ravens uh, winning that playoff game. That's why Bernard Pollard is known as the Patriot killer. He has a big reputation in Baltimore and across the NFL. And Bernard Pollard, uh, I believe on, yeah, on two days ago on July 12th, put out his top 10. This is in response to um, ESPN's list. He's got Rodgers, Mahomes, Brady, Allen, Wilson, Stafford, Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Dak Prescott. He does not have Deshaun Watson on his list because Deshaun Watson did not play. He says that in a later tweet. That starts things interesting on July 12th. Yesterday, on July 13th, things got really interesting. Uh, Pollard's first tweet. No top wide receiver will ever come there while Lamar Jackson is there. Plenty of wide receivers have been available to get in the offseason while LJ has been starting, but nobody wants to go. Give him the respect, but they don't want to play with him. Lamar Jackson, LJ, is good, but he's not able to make the throws. Woo! That's awful smoky for a former Baltimore Raven. I think Lamar then responds back. You've been capping, and capping means lying. Since I've been playing for the Ravens, I never heard of you, uh, but my boy, you got your Super Bowl cause of Ray Lewis and Ed Reed that year. Uh, Bernard Pollard fires back, facts are facts. Make sure you call me champ. Good luck getting one. He's talking about a Super Bowl ring. Lamar then fires back, never, nobody speak of you. I had to Google you, you little bruh. I never heard of you until I seen you keep dissing like you was a Hall of Famer, but you're far from it across the ocean like overseas. Lamar Jackson then has other tweets. The tweets are, are somewhat now irrelevant to the, just the conversation that needs to be had about Lamar Jackson. Bernard Pollard has said some things that people actually believe. And, and I just want to go on record, and I hate to do this, but I'm going to go on record. I'm a Lamar Jackson fan. I love Lamar Jackson's attitude. I love that he doesn't make excuses. He's, he's been far better in the NFL than I anticipated. I love his attitude, what he represents the whole nine. But Bernard Pollard is not capping, he's not lying. Lamar Jackson still has things to prove. And I know two years ago he won an MVP, he electrified the league, arguably had the greatest season in the history of quarterbacks ever in the NFL. You go look at what he did running the ball, what he did throwing the ball that year, it is arguably the greatest season a quarterback ever had. But he's starting to look like Cam Newton. You remember when Cam Newton arguably had the greatest season a quarterback's ever had? Took the Carolina Panthers on a 15-1 run all the way to the Super Bowl 
didn't hop on a fumble in the Super Bowl, didn't play well in the Super Bowl, got destroyed, uh, I believe, by the Denver Broncos in that Super Bowl, and then it was all downhill from there? Is that what we're looking at with Lamar Jackson? Is he the next Cam Newton? And if he is the next Cam Newton, I'm going to tell you why that is. It's because corporate media, ESPN, liberal media, woke media, wants to protect Lamar Jackson from criticism. We can't even, or ESPN, we're going to have the discussion, but ESPN won't even allow an authentic, real conversation about Lamar Jackson because ESPN has been so feminized and so wokenized and so liberalized that they're afraid to talk about Lamar Jackson because he's a black quarterback and he's a special kind of black quarterback where, again, it's like you can criticize Patrick Mahomes. He's half black, half white. You can criticize Russell Wilson because he's too prim and proper to get the full black status treatment uh, that the NFL reserves for Lamar Jackson. You can criticize Deshaun Watson now because he's got all these rape allegations, but before that, you couldn't touch him. Lamar Jackson lives in that protective bubble that Cam Newton lived in, where people were afraid to criticize Cam Newton out of fear of being called racist. And that bubble that's there allegedly to protect Lamar Jackson could potentially cripple Lamar Jackson the same way it crippled Cam Newton. We throw a pity party for black people and black quarterbacks. And pity doesn't pay any bills. We die by pity. They're going to kill Lamar Jackson with pity and excuses. I say that because, again, I've lived long enough, and a lot of the people on TV or on social media, they haven't lived long enough to remember the days when you could criticize NFL quarterbacks and say whatever the hell you wanted about them, and people didn't care. They didn't throw pity parties. They didn't claim racism. But but again, the example I'm going to give is a white quarterback, Terry Bradshaw. He's in the Hall of Fame. He won four Super Bowls. Before the 1979 Super Bowl, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, famous quote, one of the most famous quotes in Super Bowl history, Bradshaw couldn't spell cat if you spotted him the C and the A. That's the way NFL players and the media used to talk about NFL players and athletes. You used to be able to say exactly what you think. It didn't matter how inappropriate it was. It did, no one cared. Football, sports, a rough and tumble game. We've put Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton in these little protective bubbles. Colin Kaepernick got killed. He got put in that little protective bubble. You couldn't criticize him. He was a coward and needed to be called out because when you call people out, it brings out the best in them. It's why Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete of all time, because he invented critics, because he understood criticism was the background music for success. Because Michael Jordan understood 
that those of us that love bacon, you can't have good bacon unless you put a fire to it and fry it. You can't have good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, unless you put some fire to it and fry it. Virtually every great quarterback that has ever been in the existence of the NFL got shredded at some point. There were rumors that Dan Marino was a drug addict, and that's why he fell to the bottom of the first round of the 1982 NFL draft. Tom Brady, the reason why he's so great is because he nearly didn't get drafted, and there were all kinds of questions about him. John Elway got slaughtered for years. He couldn't win a Super Bowl. Was he smart enough? The whole, Terry Bradshaw, the biggest idiot, allegedly, according to all the critics, that fire made them great. Liberals try to protect black people from the fire, from criticism. They want us to fail. You can't make bacon without the fire, without the heat if you protect people from criticism, you're actually preventing them from succeeding. You're denying them the fuel they need, the drive that they need, the focus, the dedication, the energy, the passion that they need to be great. When I think about my own journalistic career, when I think about my own journalistic career and the things people said and say about me. It all made me better. When I was in Kansas City, when I first got there in 1994, I set that city on fire instantly. I'm not making it up. I got receipts on the cover of magazines, the Columbia Journalism Review with Tom Brokaw, a sports writer in Kansas City. But you know what people said? And I heard it. Some people said it to my face. You don't write them columns. The edit, you just send in notes and the editors uh, fix it up into a column. A woman that worked with me at the Kansas City Star, she was in the sales department, she told me that to my face. Nothing but fire, nothing but fuel. I've told the story repeatedly here uh, on this show and on previous shows. I got, the thing that made me a great high school football player and ended up getting me a scholarship, a football scholarship, it would have never happened had Tony Burchett, one of my best friends to this day, had he not called me the P word on the first day of full contact practice my sophomore year of high school, he called me a out in front of everybody. Don't worry about him, Whitlock, he's a p he, he, he won't. That was the fire that I needed. That turned me into a monster. And I was like, ain't nobody ever going to call me the P word again. Not on a football field, out in front of my friends. I never forgot it. It drove me every day at practice. It drove me. Anytime I needed an ounce of motivation in a game, I thought about Tony Burchett calling me the P word. I thanked Tony Burchett the rest of my life 
for calling me the P word in front of everybody. But we want to protect all these uh, black athletes and black people today. Oh, any crit don't, don't criticize, don't say anything. They can't handle the fire. We don't want Lamar Jackson cooked, and so we're not going to get his bacon. And Lamar Jackson right now is going through a contract negotiation with the Baltimore Ravens. He just completed his fourth year. He's got one year left on his contract. This is the contract year. He should have a contract right now. But the Ravens clearly don't exactly know what to do with Lamar Jackson, and I don't blame him because let's show the list of the top 10 paid quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, 50 million bucks. Deshaun Watson, 46. Patrick Mahomes, 45. Josh Allen, 43. Derek Carr, 40. A guy that just threw 16 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, you gonna pay him $40 million? You gonna pay him more than, Matt Stafford makes 40 million. You gonna pay him more than Russell Wilson who makes 35. What do you pay Lamar Jackson? I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson, I'm a fan. But we need to have this discussion. Is he the next Cam Newton? Or will he transition and improve his game from the pocket and go on to be worth this kind of money or is he a flash in the pan that the NFL has figured out? This is the discussion we need to be having about Lamar Jackson. We can't have it because the whole sports conversation has been feminized and racialized and this is what you end up with. I wanna play this clip from Mina Kimes. And again, I, I hate to pick on Mina Kimes, but she's out there, she's part of the, the, the whole dynamic that they've set up uh, of this feminized discussion about sports and, and why we can't get anywhere close to the truth in conversations about sports because we have someone, again, you, you look at the smoke Lamar Jackson is giving Bernard Pollard, a former NFL player, a Super Bowl champion with the Baltimore Ravens, somebody with a pretty darn, a really solid NFL resume. He's known as the Patriot Killer. He is going down in NFL history. He will not be in the Hall of Fame, but he left his mark on the NFL, and Lamar Jackson is going at him. So if Mina Kimes actually told the truth about Lamar Jackson, what do you think would happen to her? What do you think Lamar Jackson and others would say about her and what she knows about football? But so here's Mina Kimes talking about Lamar Jackson. I feel like so many of the opinions about Lamar Jackson year after year are just based on people's priors rather than reflecting reality or context. I mean, yeah. first of all, Lamar Jackson got True. hurt dropping back. He wasn't scrambling. He got hit. And, in fact, I feel a lot more confident about him in the open field than I do playing behind that papier-mâché offensive line context <laughs> that he struggled behind <laughs> last season. Second of all, the quote about him uh, being worn down as the year goes along. So since coming into the NFL in 2018, 
Lamar Jackson in December has the second best QBR in football behind Patrick Mahomes. If you don't like QBR because it counts for rushing, he has the third best passer rating in December. Has he been perfect yeah. in the playoffs? No. Did he struggle a time against the Blitz last year behind the aforementioned terrible offensive line? Sure. But the notion that he has not played, played like a top 10 quarterback in this NFL is just ridiculous. So, Mina Kimes just sounded like a lot of people that talk sports right now, male and female. I don't want to pick on her just because she's a woman. But again, the conversation has been so dumbed down because we have to make room for people that know nothing about football that that passes for insight. Her reciting some stats and, and making a couple of cliche points, that actually passes for insight. And Ryan Clark and these other guys, again, I don't want to beat up on them, but it's just facts. They have to sell that cliche garbage as insightful, and he got to sit up there <laughs> and laugh and egg her on like she's saying something clever or smart. That's how they've ruined and destroyed the conversation around sports. And we can't get anywhere near the truth. And so they've performed this little, they've put this little protective bubble around Lamar Jackson because they're afraid of social media. They don't want to be called racist. And so we get an inauthentic conversation and we make room for people like Mina Kimes that never played the game, don't know anything about the game, but they look good on camera. And that's where it's, Ryan Clark then took to Twitter uh, you know, I think the day that video came out, people might say I'm capping for Lamar Jackson, but to me, it's common sense. Any other QB with his impact, his success, his overall statistics would be worshipped. Yet we are discussing why he isn't in the top 10 quarterbacks. The other three former MVPs are in the top four. Guess I'm dumb, though. He's not in the discussion because he threw 16 touchdowns and 13 interceptions last year in the 12 games he played. That's why he's not in the discussion. He wasn't very good last year. He wasn't as good as Derek Carr, who's not in that top 10 list. He wasn't as good as Dak Prescott, who didn't belong in that top 10 list. So, I, the whole conversation has been dumbed down and perverted because we kill black quarterbacks and black people with pity. We think pity pays bills. Pity pays no bills. Lamar Jackson deserves the smoke and the conversation that goes along with having a disappointing season last year. And if you look the year before, I think he threw 26 touchdowns. Uh, it's all come down since his MVP season. His trajectory is not good. And so it's non-controversial for him not to be in this top 10. And let's take the training wheels and let's take the protective wrap, the bubble wrap away from Lamar Jackson and have a real discussion about him. And we're gonna do that uh, with my man, uh, the Korean Cosell, who is actually built for this conversation. Uh, Steve, uh, have I said anything inappropriate here? Uh, you know, is Lamar Jackson a top 10 quarterback? Well, no, and, and as it relates to Bernard Pollard, quote the Raven some more. That took a lot of guts for him to do that, knowing 
he was going to get pushback. And a lot of these media members who are just pick me's, they just pander because they know that they're going to take heat if they tell the actual truth. Let's get into the football aspect of Lamar Jackson first and foremost, okay? Um, look, I, I respect Mina Kimes' research. She tries hard. But, look, as you mentioned, if you actually look from his MVP season on, which was historically good, his quarterback rating and his number of interceptions has gone up. Now, stats tell you something, but they don't tell you everything. And I've been told by people that really have played football and study it, okay, that schematically, in terms of a system that's ahead of the league, like that system was, you get about a year and a half to two and a half years to be one step ahead, and then the coordinators start to catch up. And look, I'm going to give Lamar Jackson a break here. Last year, when J.K. Dobbins and Gustavus Edwards went out in the preseason, that really handcuffed Lamar because his ability now to have a good running game to consistently create down and distance, that went right out the window and it affected their running game. But Jason, starting with that Dolphin game last year, people figured out something. If you bring a fifth rusher and you control every gap with the guy coming forward, Lamar Jackson then struggled. They figured something out. And Lamar needs to get better at understanding hot routes and side adjustments with his receivers and just taking the swing pass out into the flat or a guy that runs a shallow cross to get rid of the ball early. That's going to have to be the next evolution in his game. Look, I actually think Lamar is better than some of those quarterbacks that Bernard Pollard put in the top 10. It's interesting. Bernard Pollard thinks more of Derek Carr than about 90% of the Raider fans, which I find fascinating because that's always a debate if Derek Carr is your future quarterback or the quarterback you need to get rid of. But but let me go back to Bernard Pollard. I, I'm not a guy that played the game, and I admit it. I am a, an observer. I try to be an educated observer. I try to talk to people that actually know a lot more than me. But you always get this on Twitter, Jason. Well, you never played the game. You didn't do this or that. And I, and I always say, well, okay, Bernard Pollard did. He actually played nine years in the National Football League. He didn't just have a cup of coffee. He had a seven-course meal. And he was an effective, solid NFL player that made a difference. And then it goes to this. As soon as that happens, right, then it becomes, well, who was he? To how many Pro Bowls did he make? He's not one of the all-time greats. Well, Jason, by that standard, I guess only Ed Reed can have a critique of any quarterback then by that standard. And I will say this, though, and I, and I did enjoy the back-and-forth thing. I haven't that, seen that much Baltimore on Baltimore violence since your favorite episode of The Wire. It was fascinating to watch. <laughs> It was. Tell me this, Steve. If you're the Baltimore Ravens, what would you pay? What would you be comfortable paying <sighs> Lamar Jackson this offseason? Whatever the market is. And I know that's going to be something that as soon as it happens, you're going to say he's overpaid. But you know what? You have to have a quarterback, and he's the face of the franchise. I think the bigger issue is, and look, they're going to give him like their version of the Dak Prescott deal, which I know that you were against, Okay. But they also now have to allocate some of their resources for help. Look, Mark Andrews is an excellent tight end, okay? But who is their Anquan Bolden? If you really study what happens football-wise with the Ravens, there's not a single guy on the outside when they're bringing that pressure with zero coverage, which means no safety, okay? Who is that one guy on the outside that you say at the beginning of the year 
That guy's going to get 90 touches, and that's going to be my guy. Uh, is, is it going to be Rashad Bateman? Is it going to be Duvernay? I mean, I didn't understand. And again, I am not a Ravens insider. Say what you want about Marquise Hollywood Brown. He's a limited guy in what he does. But he took the top off that defense with his sprinter speed. I'm actually very interested to see what Lamar Jackson does this upcoming year because you're right. He's on a contract year. And this is another thing. His style of play, there is a physical erosion. Look, you could talk about does he stay in the pocket enough or not. Here's the difference with – between him and Cam, Cam is a tight end size quarterback. Lamar Jackson is built more or less like a slot receiver. And when you play that style, which is fine, there's going to be a natural physical erosion. They age differently than, let's say, an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. Well, I'm going to tell you what's going to be interesting, Steve. If you've seen recent pictures of Lamar Jackson, he's put on eight to 10 pounds of solid muscle this offseason. And it's going to be interesting to me how that affects him, yeah. how that affects him as a passer, because again, carrying that extra weight, again, it won't be natural for him the way it was for Cam Newton. And, and again, Cam being built like a tight end, I don't think made him as a, an effective passer in the first place. I, I, I just it did make him more durable, though, Jason. That's my point. It did make him more durable, and it did give him some physical. It eventually armor. caught up to him, though. Okay, it, it right, eventually but, caught up to him. He's a bunch of injury problems here at the end of his career. And by the way, if we want to talk about black quarterbacks, so that's like a hot button issue. It, it, let me go back to Randall Cunningham, scrambling Randall. He eventually evolved into a very athletic pocket passer. Uh, in fact, his greatest year, 1998, when he led one of the greatest offenses I've ever seen, there's not that many highlights of him running around. Also, Michael Vick, when he was rehabilitated after his <laughs> hiatus from the league, his best years, he was still very athletic, but he became much more effective in just getting the ball out quickly. You can't make every play a highlight reel type of thing. Sometimes you have to master the routine play, which is what Tom Brady does. And when I watch Baltimore Ravens games this year, I need to see at least 15 to 20 plays where Lamar Jackson gets the ball and it's one, two, three, ball out. One, two, three, ball out. If it's a longer concept, one, two, three, four, five, ball out. There's too many plays where it becomes one guy making this unbelievable play, scrambling, 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 and playing hero ball. That that simply is not sustainable at this particular level of football. Well, Steve, you also made the point that Bernard Pollard was making about, hey, they don't have any wide receivers. And, and, and that's a fact. Everybody in the league loves Lamar Jackson, but – no one in the league is willing to do what Devontae Adams did and say, you know what, I'm going to go play with my guy, uh, Derek Carr. Uh, again, trust. It, it, he doesn't make that decision unless he has the ultimate confidence that Derek Carr can get him the football. And so it's fine that Raiders fans have a debate about uh, Derek Carr, but one of the best wide receivers in the NFL – 
uh, just put his basic career, put his money where his mouth is, and went to go play with Derek Carr because he believes Derek Carr can get him the ball. Yeah. I don't think wide receivers have that question about Derek Carr. I do think they have that question about Lamar Jackson. And Bernard Pollard raised that point, and it's a great and fair point. Well, keep this in mind. There's an interesting dynamic with Carr and Adams. They they were teammates at Fresno State, so obviously there's a natural yeah, no, chemistry no that they trusted. But, look, one thing the Ravens have done well since their inception, especially when they were run by Ozzie Newsome, maybe the greatest drafter of talent the past 30 years who's now retired, every year now in the National Football League, this is a trend, Jason. It, it's probably about a decade or so long. There's more and more playable, ready receivers coming out of the draft now more than ever. Every draft now has at least four to six first-round draft choices at that position who from day one, because of the systems that are now mirroring college football or vice versa, they're ready to play. So you're right. Maybe you can't get a free agent or a guy coming up on a second contract willing to say, hey, let me go to Baltimore, right, the way Terrell Owens did with Donovan McNabb. But knowing this, if you're the Ravens, you start – you have to start investing some draft capital, move up in the draft, get into the first half of that first round, and draft somebody. Uh, again, Rashad Bateman was okay last year. I looked up his numbers. He was more productive than I thought. I just don't know if he's ready or has the capability or overall ceiling to be that true number one guy. So let's go back to one of my favorite topics that I love discussing with you. Uh, the fact that the Lamar Jackson conversation is dumbed down and stupid because ESPN uh, just isn't prepared to have an honest conversation about Lamar Jackson. And so they, they have to deal with Lamar Jackson with kid gloves. And so that, that creates the opportunity for Bernard Pollard to make yeah. waves over Twitter with just kernels of truth. And, and again, I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson. I hope that he proves his critics wrong. I hope that he develops and continues to be, to be a great player in the NFL. But what Bernard Pollard is saying, people on ESPN should be saying with their chest out and debating people that disagree with them or whatever without any accusation of, of Ryan Clark, oh, you're a sellout or you're a racist or you don't like uh, uh, Lamar because he's black. None of that. And again, Lamar Jackson came into the league with that cloud over his head with everybody. Oh, he didn't get drafted earlier because, you know, he's black and it's racism. He won the Heisman Trophy and, and everybody threw a pity party for Lamar coming into the draft. And that pity party has has never left, and everybody, when he won the MVP in his second season, everybody beat that chest, see, they were racist, and if they weren't racist, he would have been uh, the first guy picked in the draft. That's just not true. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think it's great what he did in year two, but there were people legitimately questioning, can he sustain greatness at the quarterback position the way he plays, and right now, in year after year four, 16 TDs, 13 interceptions. The, after the, his MVP season, 36 TDs, nine interceptions. The next year, 26 TDs, nine interceptions. This past year, 
16 and 13. The trajectory is not strong right now, and there are legitimate questions. Now, I just don't think ESPN's built to handle this conversation. No, they're not, and it's funny. And then if you criticize Mina Kimes, th then you're a misogynist. So there's a double layer. There's an interesting dynamic that goes on there. So it's almost like she latches on, and she knows she's got this umbrella that she could sit under. My, my view is this with Lamar Jackson. He's a very special, unique talent, but the sustainability is an issue. We have to be honest about that. There's a lot of quarterbacks, if they would have put up the exact same numbers – and again, his track record means something. That has to be given some credence. They'd be getting a lot of criticism. I remember about two, three years ago, Jason, um, it was after a playoff game where I said that Patrick Mahomes is going to rule the league for the next 12 years. I thought he was that good, that gifted. And a lot of people came after me, well, what about Lamar? And I just said, well, Lamar Jackson's a great athlete, but he has to evolve. People actually came after me, and they tried to make it a racial. Well, what do you mean by evolve? And, and I just said, look, get a dictionary, bro. And I blocked him. I'm not getting into that discussion. <laughs> I'm not dumbing down my conversation um, for your edification. Okay? I'm just not. Look up the word evolve. Every great quarterback that has first been an athlete that had long-term success had to be a pocket passer by the middle of their career. Not saying that they didn't ever use their legs or that their mobility was not weaponized. It has been, because it's now a facet of the game. I mean, even Josh Allen, who, by the way, is a white quarterback, it's amazing when I watch football now. They flat out three times a game, they actually run quarterback counters. Not just an occasional draw on fourth and one, they actually line up Josh Allen and they run a counter play with them. 20 years ago, coaches would have been fired. Coordinators would have had their headsets cut off. You do that. So running is a part of the game. But the biggest development of even Josh Allen, because people had doubts, was he an accurate thrower inside the pocket? Well, he is now. I actually think about this a lot. And I have a phrase. History in the National Football League is made in the pocket. If you watch NFL films, and I still do, and I'm a junkie at it, Outside of like Eli Manning and that unbelievable play in that Super Bowl where he escaped the pocket and he threw it and Tyree caught it with his helmet, most of your historic National Football League passing plays by any quarterback, and it could be white, black, Jewish, whatever, it's generally in the pocket. There's not that many plays that actually matter in the history of the sport that aren't just like rhythm throws or a guy's like reading and scanning the field. So keep that in mind. You can do a lot of highlight films the way you play quarterback. Those guys don't necessarily win championships. So if you had to predict what happens with Lamar Jackson in 2022, what type of season does he have? Does this fire and heat that's been put on him, does it bring out the best? Do we see a return of the MVP caliber Lamar Jackson? I don't know if it's going to be quite that good, but it'll be better. If they have J.K. Dobbins and Gus the Bus, it's a security blanket. I mean, look, that was a huge factor. This is one of the great cliches. Well, look, that quarterback doesn't handle pressure well up the middle. Jason, nobody does. Or, you know, that quarterback needs a running game. They all do. Just by having those two guys, I think he'll be 20% better because the game will be easier. Down and distance will determine how easy play-action pass can be. See, Jason, me and you have had a disagreement. I know you don't like Lamar Jackson's release. It is a little bit low. 
but it's not Tim Tebow either. It's a smooth release, and he throws a nice, catchable pass. The question is, will he pick up the loose change like Tom Brady does, who can nickel and dime you to death. I've seen so many Tom Brady drives where the ball never travels more than 10 yards because he understands I can beat you death by a thousand cuts. And that's going to have to be the next development in that whole offense that because teams, I'm just telling you, Jason, they're going to line up seven, eight men right near the line of scrimmage like the Dolphins did, and they're going to bring at least five people, and there's going to be opportunities outside. And that doesn't always mean running a go route. Sometimes a quick slant, sometimes a pass into the flat can turn into 50, 60 yards. If he can master that, I guarantee you teams will start backing off and the game will become much easier. My prediction to your question, he'll play well enough that Baltimore will give him a multi-year contract worth 45 to $50 million. And the next day, Jason Whitlock will come on fearless and rip the shreds out of that contract. So that's my prediction I I, Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, I think your predictions are because I think, and I, I could be wrong, but I think they're going to do a contract before the season. I don't okay. think this is going to drag out into the season. But I, I don't know if I'm going to rip them regardless of what they give him. I do think there's a chance uh, they could regret it because the durability factor and just paying a guy $45 million that just threw 16 TDs and 13 interceptions. But Jason, this in is this a league, and it's a it's a video league right now. I mean, those numbers, that's Dan Pastorini type numbers, man, from the <laughs> 1970s and 80s. That that, that ser- 16 and 13, who does that yeah, in this look, league right now? But look, look, think about think about the uh, Ravens' history. They they went to Baltimore in 1996. I believe their first quarterback was Vinny Testaverde. Then they had the Trent Dilfer, Tony Banks era. Then they had Kyle Bowler, if I'm not mistaken. They actually invested a first-round draft choice, right? He was really good against air. Could throw the ball 80 yards. Just as long as you didn't put players on the field, he was great. Then they had Steve McNair. And then they had a couple other. Oh, then they had Joe Flacco. You could already say right now, if Lamar Jackson never played a game, and I know he doesn't have a Super Bowl, can't you make an argument he's the greatest quarterback in Ravens history, L. Jax? Yes, and I am uh, the 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 sexiest person to ever host Fearless with Jason Whitlock. <laughs> Low bar, huh? That's like, again, like I said, being the fastest <laughs> Korean sprinter. I get it. I get it. Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's get to our uh, approval rating on Lamar Jackson. Uh, job performance, again, 16 and 13, that's Dan Pastorini territory. Uh, I'm giving him an 11 for job performance. Okay, I went a little higher because, again, he had to do a lot. Outside of Mark Andrews, who's an excellent tight end, I don't see a lot of talent. And, look, I go with the overall scope of his career. I still remember the dominant year he had in 2019. I gave him a 15. I don't get extra credit points because I have to work with you. So why are you giving uh, Lamar Jackson uh, bonus points? Uh, I'm Asian Mark Andrews? Okay, that's not bad. He made Pro Bowl. (laughs) Uh, Character, I'm very high on Lamar's character. 
I love his attitude. He doesn't make excuses. I'm a little surprised here that he went back and forth with Bernard Pollard, but I'm very high on Lamar's character. I give him a 22 in character. I love that shirt that he's worn. Shut up. Nobody cares. Work harder. And look, I get it. It's the modern media. I generally don't like my quarterbacks doing a lot of back and forth thing on social media. Like, I don't like what uh, Kyler Murray has done. But you know what? It's different. Uh, Joe Montana ain't walking through that door. I'm an older guy. But you know what? I think overall, he's the type of guy that you can trust with a long-term contract and be the face of a franchise. I gave him a 20. Uh, Authenticity. I find him very authentic. Uh, I gave him a 19 here. I think Lamar is who he is. Uh, So I gave him a 19 for authenticity. I'm right with you. I actually gave him a 20 because I don't do those other numbers. I just do zero or fives. And um, the thing I like about him, he's not necessarily Captain Cliche. He'll kind of tell you what's on his mind. And remember, last year, he's one of those players that say, Vax, no, 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 Vax. You can intercept that on the way to my arm. Forget that. So I'm going to give him a 20. <laughs> uh, it factor, he's one of my favorite. I watch three or four games at a time on Sundays. And what one of them is always on Lamar Jackson. So he's definitely got it. I think he, arguably the most exciting player in the NFL. I give him a 21. You know what? I'm actually regretting this because I didn't want to make his overall score too high. So I kind of cheated and I hedged it a little bit. I gave him a 15, but you are right, though, Jason. He's one of those five players in the National Football League for 17 weeks. His performance is scrutinized every week by shows like us. And whether it's good or bad and you're black and white, nobody is indifferent to Lamar Jackson, and you're right. I wa- I used to watch Ravens games, obviously, for Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Now I watch Ravens games because I want to see if Lamar Jackson could do something that I've never seen before, or does he actually regress? I gave him a 15, but quite frankly, I hedged it because I didn't want him to be a, a blazing hot just yet, so I gave him a 15. I'm going to Smoke shows would have been next. Yeah, smoke. Yeah. Anyway, we both got him at a grease fire. Okay. I've got him at 73. You've got him at 70. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Grease fire. All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving, all receiving. We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be. I just want, I wanna be. I 